to be a show for the system. I'm above all this, man. I'm not part of your system. I think I just bit my lip so hard it bleeds. That's hot. Yeah. Daddy. <laughs> we are in a hotel room. <laughs> you, you can legally You know why we're in a hotel room. Wink. This is one of them love hotels. No. No, it is. It's why they call it the <laughs> comfort suite. Wink. Yeah, but the only comfort suite you'll be getting... It's my dick. Yeah, I mean, it's my was, dick. That's why that's we got the only one, one bed. There's only one bed in here. <clears throat> and it's on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, it is It is 11 o'clock at night on a, Fuck you, it is. on a Saturday night. And we are here recording in a hotel room because I don't get to see this character nearly enough to be able to do anything with him and uh i'm forcing him to record with me (laughs) here in this room during this like 24 hours that i get to spend with him and uh we had just gotten from your first viewing of last podcast on the left life my first view in pittsburgh pa the the most recent show the minute they announced it i went looking for tickets and it said they were all sold out and then, like, two weeks later, Ben says something on, on on a recent episode, like a Side Stories episode, about how the Byham Theater was having some technical issues. They called the glitch. The glitch is on the website. And uh, I checked back later, and, like, all but, like, 20 seats are sold. And we grabbed some, uh, some choice seating. Center Theater. I thought you were laughing because of... My my idea of saying choice when really we were sat in front of by the worst cackling we sat in tumblerina front I've ever of the fucking unfortunately looked track. at. <laughs> I uh, it, it it hurt for a little bit. If you could feel a laugh physically, this yeah. woman this woman projected it towards us. It wasn't just the the volume. Like I said, it was also the no. frequency. It was like the. She had that perfect, like, voice that, like, I just... <laughs> it, if, like, it hurts we were, to impersonate it. If we were in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Professor Xavier would have picked her up as a mutant. Yeah. Because she could have killed people with that scream. She was like a valley girl on heroin. Who was into the occult. That was like... That's like her kink. If you tell her you're, you're forming a, a cult, she, like, No, orgasms. clearly wrestling was her kink. Oh, you're right. She did, like... She screamed have an when Ben started talking screen. about wrestling. Yeah. So this was your first time seeing the show. What do you think? Uh, it was cool. It was cool. Uh, like you said, though, we had the shrieking shack, and that kind of uh, that kind of deterred me a little bit. Took me out of the out of my immersion. But uh, it was cool. They all seemed like they really fed off each other's energy, and it was really cool to see to put some. I mean, I knew what they looked like, but it was cool to see the faces as they spoke. I think y- your biggest takeaway should be like. Maybe now you'd be more open to, like, if you ever had time, like, at home while, like, while you're working, 
I used to, like, I used to do this in the office when I was working. I used to do all my work over here, and I used to have the, the stream yeah. on the right side, and I would just listen to their stream and watch it when they would show funny clips. But the three of them um, have been doing the stream for, like, two or three years. So there's, like, two or three years of material there. They've talked about it on a couple podcasts, and I've always mental, I've always made, like, a mental note, like, oh, check this out, and then it's just... Like, you know you know Travis, like, uh, Morningstar? Morningstar, yeah. Yeah, like, he... he basically oversaw the entire like streaming stuff oh really for, for adult swim yeah and he's like the reason why the streaming like is is good like it exists that's cool and he um him like getting to step up and have like a dialogue on the show during side stories is like really cool because he he started getting like um he would be, like, noticed on the stream sometimes. Like, people would ask to see him, and he'd come out and, like, wave to the camera and walk back behind the scenes. Um, but, yeah, it's always interesting to see the three of them live because you you know how, like, when they say, like, people... Like, I specifically am talking about super best friends when I say this, but, like, uh, they recently split up. After Aww. like after like eleven years of I think being, I might have known that. of being like YouTube yeah. sensations, um, well not sensations, just they had a lot of respect and a yeah. lot of fans, and the way they conducted business was great, and you knew they were friends when you were like watching, and then it's like revealed that this entire last like two years of stuff on their YouTube yeah. was stuff that they were like trying not to hate each other like, over it was, like, producing. Phoned in, they'd, yeah, they just yeah, all fake. And, like, I'm sitting here watching them go through, like, fucking, you know, Kingdom Hearts or, like, Resident Evil or something. And, like, I have no idea that they're, like, arguing in, like, in between filming these things. Yeah. So that's, like, that's, it hurts to hear yeah. that, you know? Absolutely. So, so when I watch Last Podcast and I see how these guys have been doing this for, like, nine years and they're still, like, just as good friends as they were when they started it and they're still just as close and just as funny with each other like oh, absolutely. like this was the this was probably the first time i physically saw henry like really like get it on with kissel like like they they nagged at each other the entire oh God, show dude. and that's not something i'm used to them seeing um you know i talked about my first time seeing them i don't know if i've ever talked about it on the podcast but it's like the first show in Philly at the Union, the Union transfer, like, that was like, that was like back at the old Union transfer when the stage was like three feet off the ground, not like six, and like, I remember standing up in the front of a room maybe full of 40 people, and like the three of them got, got up there without a screen or anything, and like played the theme song on like a computer. That back, was hooked up to the speakers. Back when they were wee babies. Yeah, this was like six life. years ago. This is their first tour. And they came to Philly. And it was mostly stand-up the first time. And then the second time they came to Philly, like two years later, you know, they had the screen this time. And it was so much more of like a product. Like something yeah. that they had time to sit and think about. And that was when I, I physically got to talk to Ben and, and Henry. And... Um, a couple years later, I would say like another year later, they did the Pittsburgh show, which I came down with Disco D, and I actually got to see them again. This time I got to meet Mark, Henry, and Ben. And then I saw them in Philly again last year, 
Um, I took Disco D for his birthday. And then I found out that you liked them just as much as I did. When Disco D couldn't come to the show, I immediately said, Oh, well, I I now know that Sir Booberry likes them too, so I can ask him if he wants to come with me. And then I was just like, Nani? God damn it. I asked him to do it, and he didn't do it at the beginning of the episode. Do you know that Pittsburgh is home of the old beef Frank? No. That's because I just made it up. Oh, did you? Yeah, no, it's not real. You, you convinced me. Ah, I'm glad. Um, but I, I hope you had fun. Yeah, Because no, did. we did drive five hours to see we, them. We did. That, and, that did and happen. If it... If it wasn't at all worth it, then, you know, it's something to, you know, <laughs> maybe keep to yourself. At least we got to know. hang out. And yeah. that's the important part. And now I'm stuck in this hotel room being forced to do a podcast against my will. Yeah, it has been like 50 episodes since you've, yeah, well, you've been you know, on. I'm as, I'm as what the young kids would call aloof. You are. Um, I'm, of course, here, episode 129, with Sir Booberry, who... That's me! He, your your first couple episodes are like, like people love them. Like They're fucking better. When people tell me what they like about the earlier stuff of the show, they tell me a lot of your episodes are like just genuinely very listenable. Yeah. yeah. And um, I take that as a compliment, specifically when people are calling us idiots online now. Well, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. They're no, not wrong. No, no, absolutely. Even when I brought that up with where am I? Um, he he and I like both agreed. Like they're absolutely correct. Oh, absolutely. Like, we are absolutely idiots laughing at these stories and our own stupid jokes. Like, yeah, if you're not into that, probably best to find a different. Uh, no, keep listening. <laughs> so hit that, smash that subscribe, smash button. smash that like button, ring that bell, get those notifications. Unsubscribe, kill yourself. <laughs> I don't know about all that. <laughs> and. Uh, so episode 129, I think it's, it's kind of funny that we go into the, uh, the realm, the, the, the vague realm of friendship, you know, just to start the episode because... It is quite ironic. You are, you are the oldest friend I have. Yeah, well, I mean, you tried to me after you, kindergarten. I've known you since I was, I want to say five or we, six. I think that's, I think that's, that's right. So 20 years of my fucking life. Yeah, 20 long years. 20 long fucking years. Yeah, and you'd think after 20 years, um, your friend wouldn't lie to you, but yeah. on the drive here, my yeah. friend was like, yo, they have this super cool t-shirt yeah. for sale at the show, At the show, and we get to the show, and, and there's no cool fucking t-shirt they there. They, he lied to me. It wasn't there. No, he lied. He knew that they didn't have what it. What else have I lied to you about? What's, uh, what's the last thing you wanted to argue me about? Uh, <laughs> that I didn't invite you to France's going away yeah, party? Yeah, you didn't let me know going away last party. Last July? Yeah. Last yeah. July, I That's sent invites there. out. I sent invites out to like 30 people. And I and, wasn't one of them. And you weren't one of yeah, them. Yeah, consider, even though I'm like his old, one of his old friends, right? You know. What else? No, In kindergarten, it. I, I... You tried ditching me after kindergarten? I moved into the district that you moved out of. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I, I lived in... No, we I think we've lived there together in that same area for a while. We didn't know it. But after, like, first grade or kindergarten to first grade, you tried to move to a different classroom, and we didn't have the same class anymore, and that's because you hated me, and you mm-hmm. did that on purpose. Yeah, I did that on yeah, purpose. Yeah, because you had control over that at five years old. I had control over that at five years old. Yeah. But when, hey, thanks for having me back. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, you're one of my... Uh, you're one of my most valued friends in my life. Gorge. And, um... 
Even though I, I don't see you all the time, I miss you. This all is like time. a podcast about horror and shit. Let's not be sappy. But Brad. Brad. Brad, I have to talk Brad, about my feelings to, to you. Speaking of Brad. Brad, I have to tell you my feelings or else you won't understand where I'm coming from with this episode. Get in touch with your feelings, I want Brad. you to know about our feelings we had for each other when we were young and in love. Uh, so yeah, our story is... The story today, we're going to be reading a story called Brad. I feel like I've been talking it up on other episodes. I, I, I know on episode 99 I talked about it because uh, <laughs> I let Cannibal Siren look at the list of stories that, that we had available to read that weren't taken by anyone. And <laughs> she scrolls by Brad and she's like... <laughs> Brad, what's Brad about? And I'm like, if you have to ask, I'm like, it's then, not for you. I'm like, it's about Brad. <laughs> and she like fucking lost it. And I knew from her laughing at that that I had to read the story with you. <laughs> so I immediately took it away from her. I was like, we can't read the story about Brad. But do do listen to episode 99. We read a story about listen a guy. To every episode. We have a guy who has sex with a ghost. It's a really funny okay, episode. Maybe not that one, but every, all the other ones. It's a really good episode. It's about the, uh, the myth of the woman in white who waits by the railways for her husband to come back after he ran away when they were getting married. It's very sad. And it's because she's ugly. No, she's, she's actually very hot. That's the, that's the twist. About the woman in white. Okay, the woman yeah. in white is Hot is a derogatory term. She you was ever watched beautiful. The first se- you watched the first season of Supernatural? No. I watched good television. There, you, have a, you have a solid point. <laughs> it is not good television. And um, anyway, we are moving on. So, Brad. Brad. And um, I, I don't know what this story is about. The title is literally Brad. And... Um, it has something to do with uh, with a relationship between the narrator and this character, and evidently it's it doesn't go the way that this person wanted it to, or mm. else why would they be talking about it on Reddit No Sleep? Did you know that Brad spelled backwards is Darb? <laughs> I I didn't. I feel I did, maybe, but I wasn't thinking about it. Oh, but now are. you've brought it to the forefront of my mind, and it's it's all I could think about. And Darb. Minus the letter R is just dab. <laughs> so you can dab on them haters. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, is there is there anything you wanna you wanna talk about before we get into Brad? I wanna anything? talk about Brad. You wanna talk about Brad? I was Brad. told we're gonna talk about Brad, I wanna talk about Brad. Alright. This story is called Brad. And it is from uh, Reddit Reddit No Sleep. The first part. The first part's just called Brad. <sighs> I thought Brad and I were great friends. Brad! I thought Brad and I were great friends when we were kids. He had the coolest toys of any kid I knew. I didn't grow up poor, but my sister and I didn't have a lot in the way of entertainment beyond our imaginations. A stick was a gun, a water balloon was a grenade, the floor was, of course, lava. You get it. Brad, though, Brad had all kinds of cool stuff. Video games, toy wrestlers, a swimming pool, a trampoline, laser tag, Voltron, Thundercats, you name it. Brad had it. When you're a kid, you don't think things like, how the hell could they afford that when Brad's mother never had a job and his dad wasn't around? You just think, holy shit! Double Dragon 2 has both guys on the screen at the same time? Brad used to invite me over literally every day, and every time I could go... I went. Brad used to invite me over literally every day, and every time I could go, I went. 
He didn't care that I never had cool stuff to bring over. He just wanted me to be there. Brad sounds like a cool guy so far. Brad and I went to different elementary schools. I went to a public school. He went to a private school. When you're a kid, you don't think about things like, I wonder if Brad is popular in his school. You just think, Brad is my, my friend. friend. And don't worry... Oh, I didn't know you were going to read that. Yeah. No, it's just what you think. It's what you think. Brad is my friend. <laughs> when you're a kid, you don't think about things like, I wonder if Brad is popular in his school. You just think that... Brad is my friend. <laughs> and don't worry about it beyond that. <laughs> it didn't matter to me that Brad never had other kids over. It didn't matter to me that there were other kids living in the neighborhood that played outside all day and didn't invite us. All that mattered was that Brad and I were friends. When I was in second grade, the first of many kids moved into my neighborhood. Prior to this day, nothing but old people lived on our block, outside of my sister and me. Technically, these kids lived on the next street over, but all the houses were so small and so close, it was like they were right next door. Larry and Alex were so much different than Brad. They liked to play outside, like the other kids in Brad's neighborhood. The first time I met Larry, he jumped right over... The first time I met Larry, he jumped right into the creek at the end of the neighborhood. He didn't even care if his clothes got muddy. The first time I met Alex, I was practicing kicking a soccer ball at a spot in the fence I imagined as a goal, and he just jumped in front of a ball and practiced to be a goalkeeper. These guys didn't have cool toys either, but it didn't matter. They were just kids who knew how to have fun, just like me. I didn't know how much I yearned for that until I found it. I remember growing up in a neighborhood in Allentown with a lot of kids on the street, and we actually, like, every, every I think, like, Friday or Saturday night, my dad would host, like, the only parent in the neighborhood would host because we had a huge yard. Um, he would he would invite all the neighborhood kids to come over and we'd all play wiffle ball, and there would be enough kids that we would play two teams. I remember thinking it was a lot like Sandlot, because everyone had, like, different personalities and, like, gimmicks and shit that they would run with. Who and, were you? Like, I was, like, the Smalls. Mm. You know, You're killing me, it. Smalls. God damn it, Smalls. Like, I was really good at pitching, and I was really good at hitting beamers, but I missed 50% of the time. So, so when I would hit, it would go over the fucking fence and I would get a home run. If you hit. But that was if I hit. So, I was very unreliable. Yeah, I didn't, uh... I lived in a like a cul-de-sac kind of thing. It, it wasn't like a traditional cul-de-sac, but there was, like, one street where people played on. Um... And we would all, I would go over to my friend's house and we used to like exchange toys, not like for keeps, but I would like let him borrow one of mine. He'd like borrow one of his. And that was what we used to do for fun. And like I discovered almost every new video game that I liked over at his house. I remember going over one day and he had Kingdom Hearts and I was like, holy fucking shit. There's fucking Mickey Mouse and Cloud. Is this person on the show? No, no. Uh, I grew apart from this person when I moved out of that neighborhood. Hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I remember I used to, like, leave his house. And so his house was, like, down the street from me. It wasn't that far. I could see his my house from his house. I used to call my mom and be like, Can you come to the corner? It's dark. I'm scared. <laughs> so I used to make her have to walk out of the house and just stand for me on the corner. So I remember being, like, the second youngest of this, like, 14-person group that would come together and play. Even, like, girls around the neighborhood would come and play wiffle ball with all of us. And I remember, like, the youngest was this kid with, like... I don't know, I want to say, like, autism, but, like, in the 90s, we didn't really have a word for it. We just thought he was a little off, just a yeah. little weird. And I had to, like, babysit this kid sometimes, and the parents wanted to pay me to, like, 
be around this kid, but I, like, never accepted money. Like, yeah, just course. because I was, like, five years older than him oh, yeah. and would come over and watch movies with him and, you know, be, be around him when the parents weren't home, like... They wanted me to be his babysitter, but I was fine just being his friend. Yeah. I, like, later, like, growing up, I found out that that kid is, like, absolutely institutionalized. Oh, and, shit. like, actually has, like, a deficiency in shit. And, like, the parents were, like, just genuinely thankful that I was <laughs> around that kid and keeping him, like, distracted and shit. But, like, it goes to show. You know, I have a feeling this Brad character is going to get a little jealous when he sees Larry and Alex when he sees his friend play. with yeah. some other new friends his only friend I am so we invited Brad to play with us but he wasn't the athletic type but boy did he ever try I'll never forget the first time I saw him try to shoot a basketball granny style from downtown nothing but air Larry and Alex laughed so hard at Brad. I would have too. Yeah, I would have laughed at his yeah, ass. I would have I would have been Brad in this situation I would have laughed granny at you style <laughs> Larry and Alex laughed at, laughed so hard at Brad. I saw a look on Brad's face that I'd never seen before, but it looked like it was always there under the surface. He looked like he'd experienced this exact scenario before. Not long after that, I started seeing changes in Brad. I'd go over to his house to play video games, and he wouldn't let me play it until he mastered a game, and then he'd break the cartridge. <laughs> Fuck you. That reminds me of the one time that we played Mario Party and yeah, I stole stars I from you. This and is a you great story. I stole stars from you at the end and you literally just, without letting the game finish, you just turned off the console. You, and N64, you just slammed it off I, and we're like, well, we're done. Listen, everyone. <laughs> everyone no, he just turned off the console. Everyone listening to this episode, let me, let me, lend me your ears and let me tell you the story of Woe. He's a little bitch. We had played through the entire fucking game and on the last fucking turn, this asshole specifically, purposefully lands on chance and get, magically steals, like, three of my fucking stars that I worked the entire game to get. It zeroed me out. It brought me from three to zero. And this asshole won the game. And I remember, I think, Terry the Tickler and Harry have, Her Harold Heavy Hands were there. And they won't let me live it down either because you find it so goddamn funny that I just literally stood up and turned the game off the you, minute you the minute you did that. It was like that. Mario Party three and you rage quit. You just turn off the N sixty four. I absolutely fucking rage quit. You don't do that to someone. That's fucked up. Okay, Brad. That's fucked up, dude. Okay, Brad. You did it to me on purpose. Uh, so he wouldn't let me play until he mastered the game, and then he'd break the cartridge. He'd ask his mom to make us some Pac-Man pasta and make himself throw his backpack. He'd ask his mom to make us some Pac-Man pasta and make himself throw his back up at the table so I could see it and lose my appetite. Oh, I read that wrong. Okay. He'd, oh. He'd ask I his, get it now. Yeah. He'd ask his mom to make us some Pac-Man pasta and make himself throw his back up at the table so I could see it and lose my appetite. He'd brag about how he befriended the kid next door, Nathan, and would invite him over only to hide in another room of the house and watch him go home crying. He'd want to go play in the woods and show me the small animals he had quote-unquote found. None of them were moving. None of them. Okay, hey, Brad sounds like a psychopath. sociopath skill number one. He that's sounds a, like a psychopath. Taking the life of a small furry animal. So he broke cartridges. He purposely threw up his food. Aggression. Why, why go through the hassle of eating Pac-Man pasta only to force yourself to throw it back up on the table? My mom would beat me if I did that. Are you kidding me? It's wasting good food. 
Yeah. I became reluctant to go to Brad's house. I didn't have fun over there anymore. He wasn't really mean to me, he just wasn't as much fun as he used to be, and he was a little weird. <clears throat> I'd tell my mom little white lies that contained bits of truth about why I didn't want to go over there. I'd say that Brad's video games were broken, or that he got sick a lot and I didn't want to get sick, or that his neighbor Nathan was a crybaby, or that I didn't like the woods by his house. My mom and Brad's mom were really good friends, however, so when they hung out, Brad and I would have to. His behavior got more and more erratic as more kids moved into the neighborhood, and I started becoming more like them and less like him. While we would all move from playing on a nine-foot basketball goal... Basketball goal. <laughs> so fucking weird. While we would all move from playing on a nine-foot basketball hoop to a ten-foot one, he would move from finding dead squirrels and mice to finding dead cats and raccoons. Finding is in air quotes, it's because it. he's alluding that... Uh, he killed that Brad has killed these small animals. While we would all write notes to the little girls in school saying, Do you, Do you like, like me? me? Circle yes or no. Circle one. He would write notes to himself saying, Who deserves it most? Nathan or Jasper? Circle one. <laughs> oh, Brad. I guess he decided it was Nathan, or rather Nathan's new puppy, which went missing one day when Brad was home sick. They never did find that puppy but I think I always knew who was to blame. That incident also led to the moment that my mom finally agreed to stop sending me to Brad's house. Nathan, of course, blamed Brad for his missing puppy. Brad's psychological bullying of Nathan had apparently escalated to physical violence at least once, but no one believed Nathan because Brad was such a, for lack of a better word, dork himself. You know, here's this awkward kid with no real friends who sits in his house playing video games and eating pasta from a can almost every day, supposedly picking on this other kid who was more quote-unquote normal it just seemed backwards to most adults my that's mother included that really is nerds can't pick on other nerds mm. that's incredibly false that is very false go, go look at reddit oh my god reddit is a cesspool of nerds bullying bad. other people it's bad it just seemed backward to most adults my mother included she kept sending me over there to play with brad i thought she stopped Thought she agreed to stop. Yeah, no, because they were friends, the moms. I guess. I sat quietly for as long as I could until one day, while I was sitting on the couch staring out the window while Brad played Act Razor on his brand new Super Nintendo. I never. I don't even know what that is. It's one of the best Super Nintendo titles. Really? Huh. It's part Overworld, kind of like Sim City, but it's like Greek Roman times. Oh. And you got to build temples and take care of villages and like. You're God, essentially creating the first iteration of men. Sounds more like Age of Empires. A little bit. It's a great game. And then when you... But this is where it gets crazy. Every once in a while, a new mythical mythical beast or entity will enter the realm and try to kill your... Your, like, you humans that you're, trying, that you're trying to take care of. And when you would click on them, you would have to find out where they were coming from, these entities, these monsters. And then when you'd click on it, it would zoom in, and hmm. your angel would take the form of, like, a, a Viking warrior from Norse mythology. And you would do a side scroll, um, like, a Legend of Zelda 2 kind of sword swinging Castlevania esque game. Okay. So it would go from over the top <laughs> to Castlevania, and it has some of the best goddamn music you'll ever hear in any in any video game. I didn't have a Super Nintendo growing up. I had a Sega. I fucking loved my Super because Nintendo. Because Sega does what Nintendo. I have to play the Act Razor uh, battle music from Nintendo. Feel free to sponsor oh, us. Oh, no, fuck. 
it's because I don't have the internet here. Oh, no, this, you ain't got no internet. In this hotel room. Mm. My phone's too far away. I saw it. to see it. I'll throw it in. He I'll, won't. I'll throw Maybe. I probably won't. He won't. Just do a little hum diddly dumble for us. It's like... I'm pretty sure you're. No, I'm pretty sure you are playing the song from Jurassic Park Rampage Edition. What? The Jurassic Park Rampage Edition. The song goes. That I hundred percent. I played that game as. Okay, you made me. We're gonna take a moderate pause here. You made me get up and walk awkwardly around this table. He's gonna play me the song of his people. The final battle music of Actraiser. Now, while he gets up, I'm your host, folks. Sir Booberry! Suck my dick. I wasn't gonna say that. That's inappropriate. He doesn't like to be wrong, listeners. He feels very strongly about this music he's listening to here. I wait with bated breath. I'm not sure if it's the powerful enemy final boss battle. God, this game was so fucking good. Here it comes. Shit. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> music fucking slaps. Okay, well that doesn't sound like what you were saying. This is the song that I was referring to. <laughs> that was not what I was doing. You were, you were like... Dun, 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 dun. But this song's better. Because Sega does what Nintendo don't. Tell me this isn't better. This sounds like techno garbage. Get it out of here. Uh, no, sir. As the kids would say, this shit slaps, bro. I already said that, though. No, my song was better. Anywho. Just wait. No, I don't want to listen to your shitty-ass song. <laughs> I'm trying to... Yeah, it's not changing. Anyway, let's continue. Okay! Uh, so where were we? Brad was playing Act Razor on his game. brand new Super Nintendo. Everyone should play Act Razor. So uh, while Brad played Act Razor on his brand new Super Nintendo, I caught a glimpse of Nathan walking down the street outside. He had his dog's leash with no dog on the end of it. He was crying, sobbing actually. I had two dogs of my own, and I started to think how, about how I would feel if I thought someone did something to them. So I confronted Brad. I asked him if he had anything to do with Nathan's dog or the raccoons, cats, squirrels, or mice he'd shown me over the last couple of years, Brad looked me right in the eyes and said, and I quote, go fuck yourself with your mom's dildo. I was in fourth grade. I'd never heard someone my age say fuck before. I didn't know what a dildo was. That didn't stop me from raging, however. <laughs> I punched Brad right in the face. I'd never punched anyone before. It hurt my fist. Brad looked surprised, but not pained. He smiled. He smiled from ear to ear. He smiled from ear to ear and nodded his head as if affirming my reaction. As if he liked it. I wanted to punch him again. But more than that, I wanted to get out of there. So I grabbed the old rotary phone from the end table and dialed my house. I was distraught. I started at the end instead of the beginning and just told my mother that I'd punched Brad in the face and needed to be picked up. <laughs> she was not happy. 
She didn't let me get in words edgewise about why I'd punched Brad. She told me to apologize and said she'd be right there with my father and that I was going to get it and hung up. When I looked up from the phone, Brad was no longer in the room. I went to find him, fearing my parents' wrath. When you're that age, you think your parents can see and hear everything. Well, I thought that, at least. <clears throat> Brad's bedroom situation was strange. If you opened the door, you'd enter a room divided by a partition in a manner that produced two bedrooms, Brad's and his mother's. It was divided in a way that you had to walk through Brad's room to get to his mother's. I peeked in and didn't see Brad, so I started to leave. But then I heard a strange sound I hadn't heard before. It sounded like someone sobbing, but almost like that they were happy to be sobbing. I stood there for a moment until I heard a sound very similar to the one my fist made when it smashed into Brad's face. I walked through Brad's half of the room into his mother's and saw Brad lying on his mother's bed on his back with his pants off, member in hand at full mast, punching himself in the face every few minutes and then half sobbing, half laughing afterwards. I had never seen anyone quote-unquote get off on anything before, and I couldn't process what it was that I was seeing. I just knew I didn't like it and <laughs> wanted to turn tail and jet. I don't like it. <laughs> before I could get that far, however, I heard a gasp from behind me. <laughs> I turned to see my mother. She seemed to recognize what Brad was doing far better than I did, and Brad seemed to recognize her recognition because he just continued right on with what he was doing staring at my mother and smiling that same creepy smile he flashed at me, although with blood on his teeth and hands from the punching and rubbing. My father wasn't far behind. He didn't gasp. He wasn't much of a gasper. He pulled my mother and me out of the room and hurled obscenities toward Brad before escorting us both out of the house. On the way home, he told me that I was never to see Brad again. That kid is fucking crazy! Kid is fucking crazy. I feel like he would have said it with more chutzpah. That kid... <laughs> is fucking crazy <laughs> he said I told them both why I punched him and not just what he said that provoked it but the whole story the squirrels, the mice, the cats, the raccoons and my theory about the puppy my mother began to share my father's sentiment they agreed that I was never to see Brad again I wasn't friends with Brad anymore my mother and his mother rarely talked but when they did his mother was apologetic and full of regret eventually she fell on hard times she said that Brad's father stopped sending checks after word got around about the puppy. She said that she had to pull him from private school and that he couldn't handle public school, so she was teaching him herself. She said that he became quite the recluse. Eventually, she said, he had to run away. Good riddance, I remember thinking. As I got older and more aware of the things that he had done, I would occasionally get nervous, if not outright frightened, that he'd come back someday, but mostly just went on with my life. By the time I graduated high school, I hadn't heard Brad's name in almost four years, hadn't even really thought about him. I worked at a convenience store the, the summer after graduation while I got ready to settle in for college. Lots of people came and went. One day Nathan was one of those people. We instantly recognized each other. I remember thinking for a moment that he was going to thank me for getting rid of Brad once and for all. I hadn't thought about Brad in years until that moment. I actually shuddered at the thought as a young man. He came bearing more foreboding news, however. Brad was indeed back, and he was indeed looking for me, and Nathan had just found me. Things would definitely be different after that. Bum, bum, bum! End of part one. It's like a, it's like a Lifetime movie, you know? Yeah, like it's a bad like Lifetime a, movie. It's like a discouraged, you know, a, a pained youth. Did you ever get around to watching My Friend Dahmer? Uh, no. It was, it was pretty good. Pretty good uh, representation of the uh, the hard times that Dahmer had. As a child, you know, he did a lot of the same stuff, you know. 
He killed a lot of animals, kept them in jars. Like was very was very interested in the biology of like taking apart the animals or seeing them seeing them die from go- going from living to death and like timing it. You know, like sitting there with like a watch and like counting how long it took for That's like you know he'd stab something stuff. and he'd see how long it took for them to like bleed out. Um, you know, when his parents found out, they just made him stop collecting the jars. But that just made it so that he would have to hide things better, you know? When when you think you're stopping the kid from doing something, you're really just telling them that they need to hide it better. Yeah, when you try to get when a kid to stop young. doing something, it just makes them want to do it more. Yeah, to, it, specifically if it makes them feel good. Absolutely. And you know Dahmer case, was hard as a rock when he was killing those I mean, yeah, in this case, dogs. it's obvious he was getting off to it because he's punching himself in the face and... And masturbating. There. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad is a... <laughs> he's a, he's a character. He's what you would call he's a He's a bit youth. of a character. He just misunderstood. This is called uh, part two. Uh, do you have anything to add before I jump in? Uh, no. Brad's a little fucking Impressive asshole. Bitch. Yeah. Brad's a little asshole. Part two. The return of Brad. This is where uh, Yoda comes back and rides on... Yeah. Uh, Falcor. What's our main character's name? I don't know if we ever got one. He rides we on, haven't. He rides on his back and teaches him how to defeat Brad with a I force. Just, I was just going to try and ruin any metaphor you had set up. But nope. yeah, um, essentially it could be a Vader scenario. Yeah. Maybe Nathan uh, came back to the grocery store. He's going to ride on his kid's back and teach him how to beat Brad. Yeah. I can beat your backpack while you run. <laughs> run, 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 jump. <laughs> <laughs> I can teach you magic when you run. Run, 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 jump. Yeah. Um... Uh, stop that now. Star Wars Episode 2, The Return of Brad. <laughs> the Return of Brad. you got the pod race to beat Brad. When I was a kid, I didn't know what a sociopath was. If someone had no concern whatsoever for their effect of their actions on other people, they were just a jerk. Fucking jerk, Brad. You're a jerk. You're a Jerk, Brad. That's my favorite part of uh, Super. Uh, Rain Wilson is standing there with a wrench, and to distract the one gangster, he hides behind a curtain and goes and does and does this. You're a jerk. <laughs> and the, the gangster's like, where did that come from? And he walks over to the curtain and pulls it back, and Rain Wilson hits him on the head with a wrench. Because that's his superpower in that movie. He runs around with a wrench and just fucking drains that's people. a superpower. <laughs> it's hilarious. You're a jerk. <laughs> if they use that attitude to harm people, physically or otherwise, that person was a bully. We all knew both when we were kids, and sometimes those kids grew up to be perfectly well-rounded individuals, and sometimes not. Nathan was actually a kid who was on the other end of the spectrum. Autism? No. He was the victim of a bully. And of course, sometimes the victims carry that with them for the rest of their lives. Right, Sir Blueberry. Right? You yeah. carry that around for I carry a lot of things life. with me in my life. Like when if you I ever tried, get married, like when I tried to I'm going to have a long her. list of a speech. <laughs> oh, do you, are you saying you, you want to be my best man? No, it says regardless of my role in the wedding, I'm going to show oh, up with a speech. Show up. Even if I'm not invited. Oh, you know you know what I just found out? You can, still, you can still do that at weddings. Like, technically, it's a legal thing. It's called, um... The Wedding Crashers. No, 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 no. Like, when, when you interrupt a wedding and you try to split up the bride and the groom, 
it has like a lawful term and speak like speak now or forever hold your peace yes but that's like an actual lawful thing like you're actually allowed to show up and make it seem like hmm. like you can actually like in a court of law argue that the marriage shouldn't be you know like oh shit I did hear about this um it was well I heard about it from the parents standpoint like the parents can try to uh but, it, but anyone can actually do it. It's yeah. not just parents. But they're able to claim that the uh, the individuals getting married are, are not, like... Yeah, it's not... I know you're talking about it. I forget yeah. the term. But, yeah, you can actually... Like, it, it's a legal thing where you can say, basically, that this wedding shouldn't happen. Um, <laughs> that's that's nuts. Can you imagine? you like to me? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <sighs> from she what, doesn't deserve you. From what I could tell of Nathan at first glance, however, he wasn't one of those people. He was confident. And charming, they always are. as if none of the bullying ever happened. We chatted for a while just to catch up. He had just graduated from high school, same as me, but he achieved it one year early due to his AP coursework and summer school. Nerd. He also had several college credits under his belt. Not bad for a guy who was victimized as a kid. After a few m- more minutes of small talk, he'd gotten to the point. He told me that Brad was back from college and had been for a year now. Fucking college. I mean, good for him. He got to college. I never even knew he finished homeschooling. So I reluctantly asked Nathan about Brad's story after running away, since that was my stopping point of knowledge in his life. According to Nathan, Brad hadn't gotten far when he ran away. Nathan's family actually found him living under a bridge like a troll a few miles from his house. He didn't tell me how they stumbled upon him exactly, but they delivered him back to his mother, who welcomed him back with open arms and then proceeded to lie to my mother's face for years about Brad's whereabouts. You know what's surprising? He didn't kill his mother. That, um, had, to, that had to be a logical next step. Surprisingly, with most serial killers and, and psychopaths, they are most afraid of their parents. Really? So they, they usually don't do anything about it until they find themselves physically superior. Because he, he had to have killed a person at this point. Because he went from, like, small little rodents to, like, raccoons and cats to a dog. I feel like the logical next step would be a human being. And maybe that's what the story's about. I guess, yeah. Maybe this is his next step. I don't think she had ill intentions. I think she was just lonely and wanted my mother as a friend, knowing that that couldn't happen with Brad around, despite any changes that he may have endured. You don't just forgive and forget stuff like that, after all. Over the years, Brad and Nathan apparently formed quite the friendship. Although he was only gone for a week or two, something had changed Brad while he lived amongst other homeless folk. He was more normal, more even-keeled. He was apologetic to Nathan for the way he'd treated him and tried for months to make amends. He supposedly encouraged his mother to tell my mother the truth, but she refused. Brad excelled in his educational endeavors while being homeschooled. He received his high school diploma when he was 15 and then had gone away to Florida for college, completing his degree in two years before coming back and finding a job immediately at which he excelled. He had taken Nathan under his wing and given him the confidence and motivation he now felt and now wanted me to see. Is it too early for us spoilers? Yeah. Damn. Probably. You'd like to think that he went and switched places with a with a clone or something? Yeah. Yeah, that maybe. Perhaps. I'm making less reference, but... Yeah, it was, a, it was a good movie. I realized now that I didn't talk about it at all. No, we didn't. This story appeased my fears a little bit, as Brad sounded like a far cry from the kid I remembered, but I was still not very trusting. 
I wouldn't say that Brad's actions scarred me as a kid, but they definitely had an impact. I had become almost entirely pacifist. Even the thought and the sound of the fist hitting a face made me cringe and imagine that look on Brad's young face. I was also a bit of a late bloomer with the ladies. While most boys spent a portion of their early teens getting to know themselves intimately and subsequently discovering how awesome it was to have someone else get to know <laughs> get them, to know them. Quote I was associating that act with this affirmation incident. Once I finally did meet a young woman who tickled my fancy... Fancy is another word for asshole. My prostate. This is asshole. <laughs> I was nearly out of high school. I wasn't unpopular or awkward or antisocial. I was just kind of asexual and nonviolent, both things that I was able to avoid having to reveal to anyone through high school. All of these things ran through my mind as I heard Nathan's words telling me that Brad wanted to see me. I had to decline a reunion. Nathan was disappointed, but accepting and went on his way. As he left, one of my co-workers at the time stopped him and walked out with him to a cheery, laugh-filled conversation. I wasn't nosy, but I was definitely curious. Upon his return, I asked my co-worker how he knew Nathan. He informed me that both he and Nathan were members of the same youth lodge. It sounded like one of those fraternal orders when a bunch of young men of similar backgrounds sit around in a comfy building and wear funny hats and share secret handshakes that somehow fit in with whatever mammal or bird adorns the logo on the wall and occupies the name of the order. Funny you should ask, my co-worker said, because Nathan asked me to invite you to our next poker night, get to know the guys and all that. He thought you were a little taken aback by him and he wanted to show you that he's just a regular guy. Yeah, I remember thinking a regular guy who's a member of a tiny, one-location secret society and friends with a man who used to torment him as a kid. I politely declined and went about my workday. This lodge was not one to accept negative responses well, apparently. Over the next few weeks, I received at least a dozen letters from the Order inviting me to events and mixers and other various getting-to-know-you shindigs. Each time I politely RSVP'd in the negative, uninterested in fraternizing. This went on all through the summer and the start of my first semester of college. I excelled in my coursework in school, save for one class, accounting. It's not that it was extremely hard, it's just extremely boring. I remember thinking that it was all just memorization work that I'd never need anyway, since everything was done on computers. And I'd never been good at memorizing things. My persistent requests for aid from the professor and his TA actually kept me in their company quite often, and we developed a mutual fondness for each other. By the time the class ended, I was near the top of the curve thanks to their help. I was offered a position to students who passed with high enough marks which involved taking the course again the following semester at no cost and taking notes along with the class, leading study groups afterward. This actually counted as an elective credit towards the degree with uh, an automatic A. I jumped at the opportunity to spend more time with Professor Jenks and Andrew, his TA. The free elective credit was icing on the cake. They're part of the order. Or they're gonna get fucking taken out by the order. Oh shit. I spent a great deal more time with both of them that spring, as you can imagine, and learned a lot of new things about both of them. What stuck out to me the most, however, was that they were both members of the same lodge. Called it. As Nathan. Small world, I suppose. They're following him. Professor Jinx was a member of the Senior Order, and Andrew, 
of the Youth Order. They also both extended invitations to events. I was torn. On one hand, I relished the idea of spending more time with these two gentlemen. On the other hand, I lamented the idea of awkwardly running into Nathan and my former co-worker after declining so many invitations. So I found a way to pull it off without looking like a jerk. I politely declined the current invitation, noting that my class schedule will not permit it this semester, but that I definitely partake in the upcoming summer. It was foolproof. Nathan and my coworker would assume my declines were due to my schedule, and that story held up with what I was told and those with whom I had known associations. The rest of the semester crawled by, but eventually summer came. I'd never forget that summer. My first mixer at the lodge almost started off almost better than expected. They really were a bunch of normal guys, just like me. No secret handshakes, no elk antlers on their heads, no stuffed falcons on the wall, just a bunch of guys talking about girls and schoolwork. Things took a strange turn when the founder and president of the order showed up. Brad. Oh my god, it's Brad. It was Brad. Is this, is this about the Mansons? This is a cult? As soon as he entered the lodge in his founder's jacket, he saw me and beelined my way. I hated the thought of an awkward apology from him regarding the day when we were kids so much that I felt physically ill. But no such event occurred. He took my hand, shook it firmly, complimented me on my tie, and said it was nice to see me again, patting me on the shoulder and went about his way, leaving nothing but a fading scent of cologne. Cool water. I knew it because my father wore it before he passed away. I also remember thinking, who the hell still wears cool water cologne? The limited interaction with Brad continued over the next several lodge events, always the same, as if rehearsed. I started to notice a few things. Everyone in the order was exceedingly confident, like Nathan and Brad. They all excelled at their endeavors, whether it was Andrew becoming a TA or Nathan graduating high school early. Even myself, having overcome my struggles with the class to the point of being a study group leader. The only difference being that my success was more a result of Professor Jinx and Andrew's influence than Brad's. Or at least that's what I had thought at the time. I was going to say that... that Jinx and Andrew are probably just put up to it by by Brad to get seems like it to get just some elaborate to, scheme to, to like back. fuck him over probably yeah to to kill him or you know ruin his fucking yeah. life. The possibility that their success or subsequent influence on me followed Brad's influence on them hadn't even dawned on me as a possibility. Well, it should have, you know, yeah, absolutely. like the connections of this place. It's Once like, you find out Brad was the leader, it should have been like uh, like an Illuminati of fucked yeah. up coincidences. As Brad stayed cool towards me, several other members began to emulate that behavior. It was really getting to me. I understood that he probably felt just as awkward as I did, especially given the fact that I already snubbed the idea of a reunion when he said Nathan to find me, but he was so effortlessly cordial and charming with everyone else that I was still surprised by his cold demeanor towards me. I actually found myself wanting some of that hospitality. I found myself desiring that awkward encounter I had previously cringed over, if nothing else, just to know that he remembered it occurring. This didn't even seem like that guy, but I was determined to remind him that he was. I simultaneously hated Brad, and held a level of intrigue I couldn't quite figure out. Eventually, I decided that I would just put it out there the next time he came by. Instead of the usual hollow pleasantries, I would actively engage him in conversation and ask him how he's been since the last time we spoke. 
He'd have to remember how that went down. I wanted to get the story straight from the horse's mouth, as it were. But the next time I saw him, he seemed extremely distraught. Not like that day when we were kids. No, this was way different. He reminded me of a smoker who was a few days into attempting to quit. The charm, the confidence, the demeanor I'd come to find commonplace from afar was just gone. Replaced by this skittish, moody, constantly pained expression. He didn't stay at the meeting long and didn't attend the next three. It was hard for me to understand, and I confided in Andrew, as he was one of the few members still warm towards me. Alas, Andrew was little help. He told me that no one really knew for sure exactly why he got that way save for one person. Nathan. I didn't want to talk to Nathan about it. He was Brad's number one protege. Plus, if I thought Brad was cold, Nathan was downright frigid. He hadn't spoken to me once since I'd shown up with Andrew. I think he was upset that he failed to get me interested in the lodge and Andrew had succeeded so swimmingly, so I just kind of asked around of the few members who would offer me more than a handshake. According to a rumor, when Brad ran away as a kid, he ended up with a particularly abusive band of homeless men who were in their situation due to various convictions of less than friendly behavior towards children. Every time stories would start popping up on the news of local crimes and the like, Brad would get the way he is now for a few days. It was as if these stories reminded him of what those men did to him and he reverted to the state in which he was found. After a few days, he would snap out of it and go about his business. I felt horrible. I recognized that what Brad had done when we were kids was pretty bad, but he didn't deserve that fate. No one did. No wonder why he didn't bring it up when what happened when we were kids. No wonder why he was cold towards me. As much as Thinking about that day triggering my gag reflex, it was probably doubly troublesome for him considering the situation it ultimately landed him in. I was more motivated than ever to put everything out of the table now, although this time it would be to apologize to him rather than seek one from him. I don't think that's a good idea either. No. Remember what I was saying before about sociopaths and bullies and growing up to be the exact opposite of that in some cases? At this point, you're probably thinking that this is a tale of that scenario that Brad shed the burdens of his youth and went on to become the founder of the Lodge and the most loved man of my hometown, never to have his past haunt him again. Well, you would be wrong. The next time I saw Brad, after resolving to comfort him about our past, we ended up looking at each other from across a dimly lit room with a young woman tied to a slab in between us. Her mouth duct taped shut and her hands and feet bound alive but unconscious, and Brad offering me a knife. But that is a story for another day. Um, I'd much rather be reading that story instead of bullshit filler yeah. material. <laughs> Let's get to the good meat. We're just jumping right into the next part? If, unless you have anything to add, I just think this narrator is very green. Like, he hasn't been around people to understand, like, no, I conniving I... motivations. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fair. He's not picking up on any hints. He's not no, thinking... No, this is, like, textbook. Cult. Yeah. When you, when, when you said Manson, like, pre- yeah, pretty much. Yeah. They might not be wearing hoods or funny uniforms, but, like, this is if you're with a bunch a of dudes who all act weird, then, like, you the might be in a cult. <laughs> hey, my grandfather's a Freemason. Take that back. No. The Freemasons are totally cool. Yeah, sure. They believe in gold. Yeah, sure. 
and killing people. Yeah, maybe. Part three, Brad's piece. Not like like his gun, like his piece. I mean, he like, got handed a knife, but like so maybe peace, his piece. brother, like Brad's piece. Yeah, Brad's piece of shit. <laughs> I did indeed seek out Brad, and I found him. He was not only the founder and president of the lodge, he was the deed holder of its property. He actually purchased the property and built the lodge himself. Now, keep in mind, we're 19 years old at this point in time. Brad had been out of college and in the workforce for one year. He had impressed his firm enough for them to make him a member of their young executive program, where they would push promising young talent from good schools through the ranks of junior executive very quickly while simultaneously investing in their further education and training, hoping to groom the leaders of tomorrow. He was by far the program's youngest initiate since, since its inception, and the only one with not but an undergraduate degree. The fact that he obtained it young, and in such a short period of time from a school that, although not Ivy League, was still quite impressive, coupled with the fact that he was such a charmer and had persuaded the board enough to include him in the program. Long story not so short, Brad was loaded. He could afford to build a lodge and his house on the same property, which is exactly what he did. So finding him was as easy as walking out of the back door of the lodge and into the front door of the other building on the property, his home. I think he was surprised to see me at first. I rang the bell and knocked, eventually receiving my first sign that someone was home. A spreading of the blinds and the window near the door and an eyeball peering out at me. A moment later, Brad opened the door in a bathrobe, asking me to come in. The house was gorgeous. His tastes were classic. The whole place looked like it belonged in one of those Bruce Campbell Old Spice commercials. It appeared Brad had luck with the ladies that the cologne advertised, because on the couch lay a pair of women's underwear, casually flung and left as if by happenstance. How this man sprung from that boy was a mystery to me. Brad seemed remarkably normal, yet slightly perturbed by my uninvited appearance. I laid it all out there, everything I wanted to say. I apologized for punching him when we were kids, I apologized for blaming the dead animals on him, I apologized for abandoning his friendship in favor of the more outdoorsy kids, and then I set in on the questions, asking too quickly for him to respond, about his time when he ran away, how he came back in town after college, how he found such success and motivation to achieve it, how he influenced so many people and made them success stories as well. Brad just smiled at me. Not that same creepy smile from when we were kids, but a genuine smile of a man glad to have his friend back. He confided in me that the homeless men had indeed assaulted him. Not a sexual assault, just a good old-fashioned, long-lasting, repeated beatdown. He didn't say how it ended or how he got away, just that when he returned home, he vowed to change his ways, lest he end up like them, living under a bridge and beating up children to get his jollies. He definitely killed them. Yeah, probably. He killed them. He imagined those men being like he was prior to this experience when they were boys, psychologically torturing neighborhood kids and friends, obsessed with death and dead things, aroused by violence and people's reactions to what aroused him. It made him ill to think that he was on the path to lead grown men assaulting children. He said he felt he was meant for big, much bigger things. He begged his mother not to tell mine that he was back until he became his destiny, at which point he said he'd do everything in his power to help me if I would receive it. I thought to myself, and here I've been, thinking of him as an extrapolation of that boy he was, imagining all the horrors he probably inflicted on people when in reality, he was as far away from that as he could have been, and all because of what I told my parents about him. I think the horror of my actions displayed on my face because Brad just placed a hand on my shoulder and told me not to fret. That he was fine now. Never better, in fact. His world was perfect. He was happy. He was content. He had found his peace. And now that I was seemingly willing to receive it, he wanted to share that peace with me. 
I don't know what I expected as I followed him to the basement. When he said he wanted to share his piece, I guess I thought maybe he had a Zen garden down there or some kind of motivational speaking DVD collection. Not a torture chamber. The basement itself was very large with several, several rooms and hallways that twisted and turned and eventually ended up in a laundry room which appeared to have no exit other than the way we came in. Brad produced a small remote control and pressed a combination of buttons. The wall rumbled and dust fell as it moved to the side, exposing a hidden doorway to where he practiced his quote-unquote piece. It's like a bat cave for weird, like, torture porn. For, like, people who like Fifty Shades of Grey. But, like, illegally. Mm. Nah. Brad took the lead through the corridor, narrating his true-life story from the time he ran away until that t point in time on the way. He had killed those homeless guys when he was a kid. Ha-ha. <laughs> knew it. He took the knife they threatened him with while they slept, no doubt exhausted from wearing him out all day, and he gutted all three of them like a fish. He said he buried them in the riverbed along with the knife. He called it therapeutic. Nathan's family didn't find him by accident. He followed them for a while and learned their routine so he could be sure to be found. Brad knew that he had to make amends with the kid he bullied so he could start his quote-unquote normal life. So he could start. Yeah, absolutely. This is all planned. So he could start changing people's perception of him and create a span of influence over them, because he knew, even then, that he would have to keep killing. Mm. The cats and raccoons and squirrels and mice were nothing compared to a human. They showed fear, but not like people did. Not in their eyes like we do. They don't call out like we do. They don't beg or plead or apologize. They just struggle and die. Where's the therapy in that, he mused. I had no choice but to keep following him and keep calm, although was scared out of my mind. I didn't know if the door was would be open if I ran back, and he would no doubt give chase to protect his secrets. I felt like I had to go along with whatever he was telling me until I could make a clean getaway. And he kept talking. After he regained Nathan's trust, he taught him the confidence and charisma he gained by killing other people. Brad claimed he didn't entrust Nathan with his true secret, as he was with me. He simply taught Nathan how to exude confidence from every pore. Brad then used him as an ambassador of his new brand. The Brad of the future. Smart, sophisticated, and the furthest thing possible from the Brad of the past. Above suspicion. Mmm. God, this is so meticulous. During homeschooling, he struggled a lot with his desire to kill. He didn't have a place to do it while he lived with his mother, so he had to kill more homeless people. No one missed them, after all. If he did it differently every time, no one would assume it was a serial killer. If they ever found the bodies, which they often did not, when they did find bodies, they would all think some homeless guy offed some other homeless guy over homeless guy business. <laughs> Hello, welcome to homeless guy business. I'm homeless man Gary. This How is dare my, you! This is my, oh. He fed off society's lack of concern for the poor and mentally ill and otherwise afflicted. Feeling the need to step up his prey, he pressed on harder through homeschool so he could graduate early and get out of his mom's house and set up his own hollowed ground. One day in college, on a routine hobo kill, as he called it, he came upon his first female victim. He decided that day that he found a new favorite. Women's fire burns hotter than men's, he said. I began to put it all together. He built the lodge originally for this, the dungeon below it, Eventually, he figured out that he'd need character witnesses by the truckload if any of this were ever found, to vouch for the quote-unquote fact that it had to be there when he bought the land. He couldn't trust anyone other than himself with such a large task, and he discovered his ability to influence people through his relationship with Nathan. 
So he decided to create the order and populate it with ambitious people who were able to be influenced by his charm. We came to the end of the hallway and entered a dimly lit room where he restrained his soon-to-be victim and he admitted to me that every time he has a slump, a period of time where he has no kills, he gets a little bit down. And when he sees news reports or reads articles about gang murders or a boyfriend killing his baby's mothers during one of his slumps, he hits rock bottom, jealous of their fortune to be able to kill, in anguish over his misfortune to not. This is what I had seen just a few short days before. In a strange way, he actually relished those slumps. However, because they always motivated him to get out of his slump by finding himself a woman to kill, since they were so much more satisfying than men. That was why this poor young lady was on the slab today. She was his slump buster. <laughs> That's what I call my exes. No. No. Good old slump busters. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, res- my last I respect a, women. My last ex was a real slump buster, let me tell you. We respect women in this household. And all of that was possible. This comfort sweets. Yeah. That's actually their slogan. We respect women. Anywhere. It doesn't matter where we are. We respect women. Yeah. And all of that was possible in his mind. They have a bunch of because of me all around PA. They're a bunch of comfort sweets. They all have that slogan. This is is why homeless people kill other homeless people. (laughs) This is homeless business. Homeless people business. Hello. Welcome to comfort sweets. (laughs) Hello. And all that was possible in his mind because of me. In a weird way... You made me, he said, in a thankful voice as he offered me the knife. That's not true That punch in the face probably was what sparked his... (sighs) I mean, it definitely gave him a heart He he was... He felt pain and thought... As a kid, he was like like gasoline pouring out of of an oven or a busted pipe. And that punch to the face was like the spark that lit the gasoline on fire. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. He went into great detail about how I needed to kill her. What he, in his experienced opinion thought was the best way to do it for a first-timer. Stab her in the lung so she can't scream, and then slit her throat, he said, pointing at the locations of her organs. You were a first-timer, right? He asked. My voice cracked a little as I spoke my first word in quite a while. Yeah, was all I could manage to say. I was shaking. (laughs) The choice in my mind was making me ill. This young woman would die, whether I did it or not. The question was, did I stick to my moral code and refuse to kill her, potentially ending my own life in the process, or do I kill her myself so I can live another day and formulate a way to take Brad down? Bump, bump. Bump! Interesting end to I'd part stabbed three. him. I um, stabbed him. I would... You'd have to be very meticulous about it, though, because he's probably s- stronger. I'd be like, Brad, I gotta stand on that side right? just to really get a good angle on her. And then I'd come like stand shoulder to shoulder with him, and then I'd be like, ready? Ha! Uh, and then twist yeah. and stab and then in, twist, in the chest. Twist, stab. He would never. He would never put an arm up to like stop your. Now he wouldn't see it coming. Wouldn't see. You'd be like, you hold his hand. So you, okay. So I picture this: we're standing shoulder to shoulder, right? I'm on your right. You're on my left. My left hand is holding your right hand. Knife is in my right hand. I go huh, to stab, and I twist the last second and stab you in the chest. I'm holding your hand, so you can't defend me. Yeah, but that's also a little gay. 2019, bro. <laughs> what are you trying to say? Um, I th- I think uh, I think it would be pretty easy, um, even if it was a simple, you know, he's standing like a foot behind you. You're closer to the slab, and and you ask him. You even say like, hey, like you're 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 gonna, you're gonna want to see this. So he comes up like real close to her to like watch and you the light. Him. To watch the light. Yeah, you can give him a big old kiss right on the cheek. And once he's, he's close, driving. once he's close enough in, in kissable, in kissable location distance, 
you take the knife and you instead of cutting her throat, cut his throat. Yeah. Just a quick or, or you suck his dick. You just fucking run. <laughs> yeah, or you run. I, that's what I meant to say. You take, the you, knife, you take the knife with you. And just you run, run from him. You, you don't just run. You don't perform fellatio on the on the no, serial killer. No, absolutely not. You just run. Um, this this author I, I wanted to say when you read it is obviously a fan of Brett Easton Ellis, the author of um, American Psycho, mm. because American Psycho. The way the yuppies would get their rocks off, or at least in uh, Patrick Bateman's uh, way, is he agrees. No one in the in the justice department or system cares about homeless people. It's just a it's a plague on a city. And when you sure. live in when you live in New York City on on the you know the the stock market, you know um, when you go down into the gutters and you stab a hobo to get your rocks off, like unless there's fucking footage. You, no one's gonna waste their time going. Once the body reported, who who cares about the body? Like what? If no one's asking questions, does anyone? It's almost like a waste of resources. It's well, but it's a but it's an ethically. It's fucked up. It's an ethically cloudy narrative. You oh, know? for sure. Like like they are specifically, they are specifically picking the weak societal chain to take their anger out on because they know that they are a higher number in that chain oh, and that people aren't going to come looking for them. And that's and that's the beauty of both that book and that movie. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, if you if um, if, if if someone of a middle to higher class is killed, there are there are movements, there are GoFundMe's, there are, you know, like services at the local church, there's, you know, all this stuff but if someone of low class to, to homeless dies, no, I mean, as like you said, it's an ethically cloudy situation. Like, do people care? Because are are people running around and and, and asking? You know, yeah. are people? Is there a detective who's paid by the city to find out who's yeah. killing homeless people? And and at what point does that detective just turn to and and say back to the system? Homeless people are getting killed. They're they don't have security. They don't have anything. They don't have any resources. They don't yeah. have anything to protect themselves with. If they're getting killed, then you know it's it's society's fault. There's there's nothing to really. It's fucked up. It's it's a it's a tough situation, and I think that's why it's easy. It's an easy narrative to to believe. Oh, absolutely. Um, because there will always be people with more power than you that can take advantage sure. of you, and you should always be aware of those types of situations. So you like Huey Lewis in the news? I am also a fan of Phil Collins. Huh. I got this new business card. I actually do. I do have some new business cards. Off white. If, if you want to see mine, embossed. Mine is embossed, actually. Twelve point font. Times New Roman. That egg white shell coloring. <laughs> oh my god. I actually didn't like that movie. Oh my god. It even has a watermark. I love that movie. I don't like it. When was the last time you watched it? Ah, oh, shit. Uh, at least five years ago. You might pick up on more stuff now. Maybe. This um this next is, is part four. It's called Brax, Brad's... Brad's... Denouement. Brad's Denouement. Denouement. Yep. Is that actually Denouement? No. Oh. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure it's denouement. Is denouement even a word? It looks like denouement with that little tilde thing. I don't know what you're saying. You never heard the word denouement? It's a literary term for like the ending of a story. That's why I thought it was saying denouement. 
Yeah, well, I'm not French, all right? I learned it in English class in high school. Listen, I don't have great memory, all right? It's all the drugs, okay? Yeah, because I'm, <laughs> I'm straight edge. I don't do no drugs. I have a great memory. The final part of a play, movie... There is no tell that. I was right. Or narrative. Victory screech! Denouement. Denouement. You nailed that, man. Yeah, I told you. You should listen to me more. Brad's denouement. <laughs> you son of a bitch. I think Brad could see the dismay on my face. He was surprisingly supportive of my lack of serial killer instinct. He told me how he understood that I hadn't been through what he'd been through, that this privilege was an acquired taste, and that I'd get there eventually. That didn't stop him from finishing her off right in front of me, however. I held back tears. As the life drained from her face, he must have had a lot of trust in me, because after that he just walked me right out of the door, smiling the whole time. This was the smile I remembered. He talked about how he served a higher purpose. Population control, he said. He found his calling, and he wanted to share it with me completely. When I was ready. You have to understand how much I hated myself at this moment. I actually considered killing someone, and I was fighting the feeling of appreciation I had towards Brad for understanding why I couldn't do it. This man was an admitted serial killer. He could have taken both of our lives, or he could have forced me to kill her and then killed me, but he did neither. He spared me that guilt, thinking that someday I would be like him if he kept at me. I spent the next several weeks trying to avoid Brad and conspicuously and simultaneously figure out exactly how I could get myself out of this situation and bring down Brad at the same time. Well, it's pretty easy. Hello, you drive, uh, you, drive to, you drive to the cops, unless he has the cops in his pocket already. He might. No one would believe Brad did that. Brad's an upstart citizen. Wink, wink, smiley face emoji. As far as people know. It wasn't as easy as punching him in the face and then telling on him anymore. Brad was a respected, successful, seemingly well-adjusted, crazy person. Those are the worst kinds of crazy people. <laughs> it's my ex-girlfriend. If I just went to the police with an accusation like that and no evidence, the most they could do was question Brad, which he would of course deny, as would his legion of devoted followers who were also respected and well-adjusted, and then I would have shown my hand and he'd be after me. I could tell them about the dungeon, but I didn't know how to open it, and if I or the police failed to do so, Brad would again know that I tried to get him caught. No. I needed something that could prove it. Something that would put him away for good. And if I could figure that out and implement it without him knowing it was me, then even better. For a while, I thought maybe I could just wait it out until he slipped up and got caught, which... They all eventually do, but he'd been doing this for years now without raising any suspicions, and he had built such an empire to shroud it that I wondered if he'd ever slip up. I would say some of the best serial killers that have existed throughout history are still killing to this very day. Or and, or were never caught. Like, like, or were, like, yeah, like a Zodiac killer. Yeah, we're and never, what was we're never caught. And what was died. the one that just got caught because of the 23andMe stuff? That's right. The, um, the Golden State killer? Yes. Yeah. Yes. He just got caught because of the 23andMe stuff. And what's the new one that they... The, uh, people are alleging to, to the Jack the Ripper uh, oh, yeah. DNA test? It was like some... It was like some British... Or not British, some Polish guy. Um, Who has like a Shaw of the last uh, 
the last known victim, and it had DNA on it, both hers... Semen, specifically. ...and, and another man's. And, yeah. and Jack always shot rope when he when he killed people, so... Yeah, they're... they're Some they, crazy stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I think 23andMe stuff is cool. Just, you know, be careful about it. If you're a serial killer, probably gonna get you caught. Probably gonna get you caught. But, I mean, actually, if I mean, you're a serial killer, do 23andMe. Absolutely do it. <laughs> it's a great idea. Do it. Buy it. What, uh... You know, even Toy Box is a great example. You know, this guy does stuff in his 40s, maybe late or early to late 50s, doesn't get caught until he's 80, goes into jail for a year, dies of old age. You know, the, the system just doesn't work. Not and, always, no. And uh, stuff falls through the cracks. It's, it's crazy. He'd never stop trying to get me to join him, not while I was alive anyway, and eventually he'd realize that I can't do it. Brad called me often over this period of time. He would invite me over for drinks or dinner or video games. Just like when we were kids, he would say. I found as many excuses as I could, but eventually I had to go, so I could keep up my plans without raising any suspicion. When I arrived, he would update me on the progress of his grand mission, how many people he'd killed, their gender, their approximate age group, and he'd describe the kill. He never told me what he did with the bodies. Brad really thought he was doing a society in service to his efforts. The world is overpopulated. I'm just thinning the numbers of the herd. Oh, this is the prequel to Infinity War. This is Thanos. This is Thanos, yeah. Gotcha. The people I kill are easy targets. Their death brings us all forward as a species in terms of our survivability. The ramblings of a crazy man. He would tell me to start building my alibi and character witness network. Maybe try to bring some new recruits to the lodge so I could gain respect. Maybe ascend to a lodge leader of some sort. I thought about just picking up and running. Transfer to another school and move the hell away and never look back, but then my family would probably be in danger. They would still be there, and would someone as crazy as Brad ever believe that they knew nothing after I told on him when we were kids? Doubtful. I kept coming to the same conclusion. I needed a smoking gun. For several days, I thought I'd actually have to kill him. I went through a plan in my head, and that involved me learning from him exactly how to get away with murder, and then committing it myself with him as the victim. But I'm no murderer. I just flat out don't have it in me. I knew I needed a plan sooner rather than later because my excuses for avoiding him were running very thin and the next lodge meeting was a few days away. If I skipped it, Brad would know something was up, but if I went, he'd try to continue recruiting me. Hell, he may even show me another victim. I still couldn't shake the images from the first time. The only plan I could come up with was to go to the meeting and mingle amongst the people as much as I could, make it very hard for him to get me alone, but without raising too much suspicion. I could only think of one way to do it, and that was to propose a new member as he'd suggested. I hated the idea of using someone else like this because I knew it would put them under Brad's microscope, but it would also remove me from his suspicion for a while. I didn't want to put someone else in his crosshairs, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. So I figured it had to be someone he knew, maybe someone that I could easily justify, someone from his past. 
Jasper, Nathan's older brother, was a resident at a hospital. He was well-respected and well-thought-of. He never had a beef with Brad that I could remember, and even defended Brad when Nathan's dog went missing when we were kids. Since he was someone historically trusted, I thought maybe Brad would accept that my intentions were pure and that this was my first step in joining him in his murder club. I arranged to run into Jasper in his office, where I could hopefully casually bump into him and strike up a conversation ultimately leading to my inviting him to the lodge. It went pretty well according to plan, actually Jasper recognized me right away and was eager to catch up. He said he hadn't spoken to Nathan in some time due to the conflicting schedules and was eager to hear how his little brother fared in the world. He was even more eager to hear about the lodge of which his little bro was a member. Naturally, I mentioned that I myself was also a member seeking a higher status only granted by recruiting new members, and Jasper practically leapt at the opportunity. The following night, everyone was eager to meet Jasper and get to know him. The crowd kept a safe distance between myself and Brad for most of the night. Brad even gave me a wink of approval from afar. He never approached Jasper himself, however. He probably is going to kill Jasper, or hope that the narrator's going to kill Jasper. Absolutely. Like a target. At the time, I didn't really think much of it. I was just happy that the plan seemed to be working. At the appropriate time, I motioned to the order that Jasper be initiated. Everyone seemed to agree, and then the meeting concluded. As the members dispersed and went their separate ways, Brad approached me for the first time, taking me around the back of the lodge near his home. He made mention of how proud he was, how it seemed that I was indeed getting there. He told me that he had a surprise for me and asked me to follow him to his house. I had a feeling I knew what the surprise was and didn't want it, as if on cue Jasper approached. He and I had arrived together, so therefore had to depart together as well. Jasper extended his hand to Brad, saying only two words, long time. Brad took his hand cordially, nodded, and walked away. Jasper's an undercover cop, and Brad knows it. It was Brad's first awkward moment since he reappeared into my life. He and Jasper had a past. It was obvious. In the car ride on the way to Jasper's apartment, I dug into him about that awkward moment. He played coy saying he hadn't noticed anything awkward, but that he and Brad were never really friends as kids like he and Nathan or I. I knew it was deeper than that, though. After dropping off Jasper, I headed home with my mind swimming. Why the wink of approval from Brad toward me followed him by awkwardness towards Jasper? Was Jasper in danger? What had I done? The following day, I received an email from Jasper asking me to meet him at the lodge that evening. As much as I wanted to know why he and Brad's exchange was as uncomfortable as it was, I wanted to be away from Brad more. I still needed more time away from Brad, not more time near him. I responded to Jasper asking him to meet me elsewhere. His place, my car, a van down by the river, literally anywhere except Brad's property. In a van down by the river. Jasper responded almost immediately that it had to be the lodge and that it was a matter of life and death. It is probably Brad emailing the narrator. I don't know. My mind went all over the place. Had Jasper discovered Brad's secret at some point? Was Brad coercing him into emailing me? Was Brad to attempt to make Jasper my first kill? Can kids Did see I why? Kids love a taste of cinnamon toast crunch? <laughs> Did I doom Jasper by inviting him into the fold? 
I was ill with the thought of any of those possibilities, but I had no choice. Absent a good plan for any of those scenarios, I headed to the lodge to see what fate had in store. When I arrived, I found the lodge seemingly deserted, and Brad's house unusually unlit as well. It was like something out of a horror movie. The late introduction to the story rings the protagonist with news that he can only be given at a place where the antagonist has the upper hand only for the protagonist to arrive to, to a deserted antagonist space where he lets his guard down in relief only to be run through by the antagonist who set the whole thing up. But I convinced myself that if it were me or the late introduction character and it was my fault he was in that situation, it was better to be me than an innocent and I wouldn't let my guard down, knowing that what Brad was capable of. I exited my car with a tire iron in hand, as it was the best option I had. I approached the lodge in silence. Not even my footsteps made a sound. It was as if the entire property was devoid of life. The 40-foot walk felt like 400 miles. The two minutes felt like 2,000 years. And I would walk 400 miles, and I would walk 2,000 years. To be the one who doesn't kill for Brad, but saves my friend's life. Tire iron! Tire iron! Tire iron! My silent heartbeat sounded like a kick drum at a Rush concert. Neil Peart is the best drummer ever. Best drummer ever! It's not easy being cheesy. (laughs) My hands nearly bled from my grip on the tire iron. One foot in front of the other, my head on a swivel, my ears perked up, and my eyes darting about like a predator on the prowl. Psst! Want some candy? At that one sound from behind me, I turned not to see Jasper or Brad, but Nathan. Hello, Andy. Oh, his name's Andy. Maybe we did know that. Nathan? Darkness. I heard more than felt the thump on my head from behind, but that didn't stop me from hitting the ground like a ton of bricks. The next few moments are blurry, but I remember being dragged by my collar through the grass. I remember the lights clicking on inside the lodge, and I remember seeing at least familiar faces, including Nathan and Jasper, looking down on me as I tried to get my bearings. The accused is member Andy. His crime is theft and assault. His victim, our beloved leader, Brad. This tribunal is in session. Nathan's voice echoed through the main hall of the lodge. Accused? Theft and assault? Tribunal? Those words meant very little to me at the moment. Throbbing pain, headache, confusion, these words meant everything to me. Friends, we know that the accused has a long, tumultuous past with our founder. We know that he has a history of assaulting our founder due to accusations that proved false. We know that our founder has once again taken to trusting the accused by inviting him into his home. There is significant evidence in the founder's home to suggest that the accused was indeed the party responsible for the assault. His footprints in the mud leading to the door, the mud tracked into the basement from his shoes, Brad's own mutterings of the name and the accused upon being found as witnessed by myself and my brother Jasper, accused. How do you plead? Plead? 
The haze from the blow had long since worn off. The only confusion remaining was regarding the scene of which I was a part. More than a part, really. The scene of which I was integral. I needed answers. Wait, what am I accused of? Assaulting Brad? And stealing from this lodge, and therefore from him, the funds we raised at that last mixer, which were to be used for improvements to the grounds, were stolen from Brad's safe in his basement just after he was assaulted. How do you plead? Nathan's accusation was foreign to me. I was innocent, and I proclaimed it thusly. I never assaulted anyone or stole anything. The last time I was here was last night, and I left with Jasper. I haven't been back since. Where's Brad? He'll clear the whole thing up. I couldn't believe I was actually requesting Brad's present at this time. But in this setting, I was more afraid of Nathan than Brad. I knew the Order had a few secret rituals, but most of them involved drinking and parlor games, not trying someone for a supposed crime. Things started to come together in my head as Nathan hurled more accusations. Jasper. He's the one who invited me here. He and Brad had some kind of history, and that was obvious. I heard Nathan say that Brad and I disappeared for a spell after the meeting the night before as my mind raced. He said that no one saw Brad for the rest of the night. I knew that wasn't true. Jasper had. He was right beside me. He shook Brad's hand and watched him walk away, and then drove away with me. Jasper was behind this. I interrupted Nathan with that very accusation, and he was not amused. Jasper left with me after you ditched him and went to Brad's home to rob and assault him, Nathan boomed. So now I knew that he was in on it too. He knew Jasper wasn't with him the night before. I had unwittingly reunited two sociopathic thieves, hell-bent on shifting the blame to someone else, so I spoke up. Jasper left with me last night. He and Brad exchanged an awkward handshake. We parted ways, and I took Jasper home. Nathan, you know you weren't with your brother last night. What did you do? Break into Brad's house and steal the money yourself? Did Brad catch you doing it so you bashed him in his head, too? Is that why he's not here to speak for himself? Was Jasper your accomplice? Nathan laughed out loud at this notion. The rest of the tribunal did not. They talked amongst themselves in hushed tones. I heard words like newcomer and history and trusted thrown around, but not much else. There were enough glances passed towards Jasper and Nathan to tell that they were not above suspicion, however. Nathan must have seen this as well. His pistol pulled from his belt proved the point, and he had it pointed at me as he exclaimed, Forget about the truth. We've got a way to deal with this. Lights out. Literally, the lights in the lodge went out. I heard gasps and loud voices. I heard grunts and a struggle, then a bellow of pain. It sounded like Nathan. I tried to make my way to the exit, but I was disoriented. I felt a hand on my arm, pulling me away from my destination. I tugged away and swung my fists wildly in the dark, connecting with nothing but air. And then I heard a voice. Come with me. We'll get you out of this, friend. Brad to the rescue. He guided me out of the back door of the lodge and towards his home. That son of a bitch, I never should have trusted him. That was the first time I'd seen Brad angry. Even when we were kids, I punched him in the face. He just smiled at me. It was quite the sight to behold. I thought he'd turn green and burst out of his bloody shirt at any time, but he didn't. He composed himself and gave me the whole rundown as he led me through his home toward the back door. 
Nathan and Jasper were con artists and thieves. They had been since we were kids. Jasper sold Nathan's dog to some other family on the other side of town, and Nathan blamed Brad because they thought he was weird and they wanted him out of their school. He also claimed Brad bullied him, dad icing to the cake. Brad wouldn't find this out until they were much, much older, however. Keep your enemies closer, he said. Nathan had been stealing from the lodge for quite some time. Brad decided to kill them both, but he needed help, as they were rarely away from each other when Nathan wasn't at the lodge. That is why he sent Nathan to find me in the first place. I knew I could trust you. I knew you were still my best friend. That was why he winked at me the night before. He thought I'd luckily led the right lamb to the slaughter. No, but it was the left lamb. Oh, how can I miss? I'm such a mushogana. He thought I'd surely help him dispose of those two when I heard what they had done. He had slightly misjudged their zeal, however, and they got the drop on him, clubbing him in the head and tying him to a chair. He broke free just in time to rescue me and stab Nathan in the torso in the dark. Now it's time to run, Andy. We have to get out of here and regroup. Everyone in that room will figure out that it was me who stabbed Nathan and the cops will come down hard. We can get to Florida. I have people there who can set us up with new identities and we can start anew. Eventually, when you're ready, we'll come back for Jasper. Are you ready? Brad, I I can't. I'm, I'm not like you. I'm not a killer. You're on your own. The words cut him like a knife. But you're my best friend. His face grew angry again. I trusted you. You were like a I brother loved, to me, Anakin. I loved you like a brother. I loved you like a brother, Anakin. Why did you do this? You were the chosen one. I have the high ground, Brad. Brad took deliberate steps towards me. As I have the high ground, Brad. <laughs> I have the Don't high ground, it. Brad. Brad took deliberate steps towards me as my mind raced with every self-defense technique I'd ever seen in a kung fu movie. Bang! Brad's blood spattered on my chest as the bullet exited his shoulder from the front. He fell to the ground with one word. Run. From the shadows behind him came Jasper, his arm around Nathan, propping him up, gun trained on me now. Nathan was bleeding profusely, but he was alive. This is it, I thought. This is how I die. Nathan let out a blood-curdling, No! As he saw Brad's body on the ground, and he pulled away from Jasper angrily. You weren't supposed supposed to shoot Brad! You were supposed to kill Andy! What the hell is wrong with you, Jasper? Andy is the troublemaker, not Brad, you idiot! Nathan took off running, and his outburst gave me just enough time to make my exit with as much haste as I could. I ran through the woods behind Brad's house with gunshots ringing in my ears behind me. I ran like a marathon man. I've still never run so far and so fast in my life. I ran all the way to the police station. I told them about Nathan and Jasper stealing from the lodge and trying to frame me. I told them about Brad defending me, stabbing Nathan in the process. I told them about Jasper shooting Brad. I did not tell them anything else. I felt that I owed that much to Brad. In the subsequent investigation of the property, the police did indeed find the dungeon beneath the lodge, but they never found Jasper or Brad. As expected, most of the order, myself included to save public face, declared that it must have been part of the grounds before Brad built on it. 
Despite the pleas from the Order of Brad's Innocence, he was the prime suspect. He must have known, because he disappeared. They would find Nathan's body on the grounds, having bled out from Brad's knife wound. The rest of the Order immediately dissolved, and everyone went their separate ways. That night was 13 years ago, this upcoming summer. In that ensuing years, I moved myself and my family away and got us all new identities. I graduated college online and got a job in the new city. I met a woman. I started a life. I never told anyone else about Brad until now. Why now, you ask? Well, just a few days ago, I saw a feature on the local news about my new town's first murder in years. It was on my walking route home, as a matter of fact, less than five blocks from my home. They hadn't yet identified the victim, but he had a nameless name tag pinned to his flesh from a hospital in my hometown, Jasper's Hospital. He was wearing a jacket when they found his body, the founder's jacket that Brad wore the first night he showed me his true self. If that weren't enough, I vaguely remember the walk home from work the night the police think this happened. It was the most uneventful, but I did catch a whiff of familiar smell on my way home. Pretty close to where this crime took place, actually. At the time, I couldn't place it, but now I knew exactly what it was. Cool water cologne. Who still wears cool water these days, anyway? Now Jasper's the murderer. Jasper wants the revenge. <laughs> Jasper's fucking dead, dude. Aw, Nathan's dead. No, but that's the ending. <laughs> The ending is saying that Brad survived the gunshot and got the revenge on Jasper that he wanted. What do you mean Jasper's? Jasper's not dead. That's literally the point of the end paragraph. They found Jasper's name tag on a hospital pin. But I said it was a nameless name tag. Yeah, but it was from Jasper's hospital. Yeah. Brad Brad was the one who wore the cologne. Brad, Brad finished his job. It's just ironic... That the body showed up in the new town that... It was a message. That the narrator, yeah. He might he might be saying to Brad that he knows where he's at. Or he might be saying to Andy, the protagonist. He, Brad might be telling the protagonist that he knows where the protagonist is, but he took care of the situation so maybe they could be friends again. Yeah, put me in the game, coach. I'm Brad. <laughs> If Harold was here, he would say the same thing, because that's what we say during Overwatch. <laughs> Whenever we play Overwatch and we're waiting for a round to begin, he turns to me and he goes, I'm Brad Bramish, coach. You gotta put me in the game. How am I supposed to do what I gotta do if you never put me in the game? So what do you think of the story? I liked it. It was written weird. It was written... A lot of sentences that were just weird. It was obviously written by, like, an English person, you know, like, just a different dialect. Yeah. They said bloody good time at one point. I was like... But then again, I don't really trust your assessment, because you don't really know the word denouement, so... I don't know, I don't know denouement pretty well. It's denouement. No. Okay. Well, it's like sophomore English class, but okay. I, um, I liked the story. It reminded me, um, in episode 115, I read a really good Tumblr story with, uh with uh Sofa King and and his his story ended up surprising him. And I am relatively surprised by this too, like to an extent. That story was better because it had a funnier twist. But this story is still interesting because what has been playing off of my you know, what has been 
playing off of some of the more recent episodes is your expectations. The last couple episodes have really twisted my expectations around. Like, I didn't know that this last thing in the last episode existed. I didn't know that the one series I did with Where Am I was going to end the way it did. Like, it's not so much last act twists that throw off my expectations, but the direction of some stories. Just, you think they're going to go the one way like he he mocks it at a point in a kind of meta way he's like and this is where the protagonist does this and yeah. blah blah like he's like meta mocking like the storytelling structure um as reddit is known to do but at the same time he kept the story kind of like lighthearted and original and, yeah, and I, I can and i can respect that i think my biggest complaint with it was i felt like it was long I felt like there was some filler that could have been shaved out. Yeah, like, a lot of chapter two and three could have been cut down and made into just three parts instead yeah, of four. Yeah, like, him finally getting to the lodge, like, having to turn down Nathan, and then eventually saying yes to, like, the people at school. Like, I feel like that was unnecessary. Are you trying to say that this guy was writing these parts one at a time and didn't know where any of the later parts were going to end. He just had a beginning and an end and just made up a bunch of middle section I'm stuff. I'm saying that it's very possible. Wow. That has never happened before <laughs> in any storytelling structure. Yeah, like, I liked I liked the beginning. Like, the backstory of Brad as a kid. I liked the, the ending... Uh, of Brad being like a... And then everything in the middle is just kind of shitty. Of Brad being like a good, <laughs> a, sad- a, a good shitty person. A sadistic little fuck. He's a sadistic little fuck, but like, he was good to Andy. Yeah. Like, he was nice, he protected him, he like... But he was a, like a piece of shit. Yeah. Under that. Yeah. But, uh, like, I like that aspect, where it was like a moral debate. He was like... Well, I'm not gonna rat Brad out for being a murderer, cause I, but I owe, cause I owe it to him to not like. He got just, shot instead of me. Well, exactly. You know? So he was like, I owe it to him, but I was like, he's a murderer. Like he he's killed people. So your moral compass as a protagonist is already thrown off. You yeah. you now you now fall into the waters of, um, untrustworthy narrator. You know, yeah. un- untrustworthy. You know, if if his perception is skewed then he's now writing with a skewed perception. You yeah. know, it's it's interesting and I do like that yeah, I like that element a lot that solid. Um that comes up in a lot of a lot of stories we've read recently. Um the um the one in, uh, that I'm talking about, episode one fifteen with Sofa King is um a story called Plot Holes and to sum it up, like this kid keeps finding things in his life that don't make sense and at the end he dies. And the story says, oh, you're wondering how I posted this online if I'm dead. Well, that's your first plot hole, and I hope you don't see any more. Hmm. It's, it's just a really fun ending, and, and, it, and both Sophie King and I just fucking laughed out loud Bad. at it, you know, because we were like, that's fucking great. That's hilarious. You know, um, there, there's also a City episode that I think is coming out soon, or just came out. Before this one, there's there's another episode with Mark Rooster that has a very, like, flat ending that I just didn't see coming. It's just like, 
this story happened, and now it's over the end. <laughs> like, you expect so much more from the narrative, and then it's just like, nope, well, that happened, and it's done now. <laughs> like, okay. this Brad thing is pretty similar. Like, I had a friend named Brad. He was fucked up. He killed a couple people, and now I'm living in a new town, the end. <laughs> like, very similar. But, um, yeah, I hope, uh, I hope everyone liked this episode. I see this episode as fairly average storytelling it's yeah. it's good right. it's, it's better than being disappointed <laughs> uh, you better not be disappointed in my fucking story well not you didn't you didn't write it no i'm talking about you them you and my take, reading ability you shouldn't take it per well your reading ability well, let's be let's be honest is a it's a little it's a little lacking it's a little, you, need, you could do better i've seen this you episode is going to be the denouement <laughs> of of doctor doctor death's life I'm gonna hit him with this bottle across the head. Bop. I wanted you to. It'll make a fun noise. <laughs> Getting it though. He's dead. He's um, dead. He's talking to you from the grave. I killed him. What a twist. What they tweet? Um, Sir Booberry, what'd you think of this episode? Is lit, dog. <laughs> you got nothing else to No, add. that's it. Alright. Uh, I'm happy to be back. I hope that I can make more time to be around for more episodes. I have a series saved for you, so I hope Good. so. I've, I really want to read it, so I hope you fucking hurry up and I will, I will let make us a, read it make at some a, point. A conscious effort. Um, the series we've been reading recently has had many ups and downs, so I uh, we started a new one. Uh, well, it's not new. Not really. <laughs> This last episode 128 is probably going to confuse a lot of people. Anyway, um, this was episode 129 with me, your captain, and Sir Booberry, and we read a story called Brad. Brad. And um, it was it was fun. Um, it could have been a little bit sexier. I can say that, right? Could have been sexier. It could have been sexier. Mm. But you and know, Brad. So Brad does fucking jerk himself off and smile at a you, mom. You know? Yeah, it's that's pretty, true. It's sexy. That's true. But they can't all be sexy, you know. You gotta like, gotta leave wanting more. That's right. You know. That's right. Yeah. Get off my hard to get sometimes. You gotta. And then other times you just get choked and call everyone daddy. Well, okay. This has been episode one twenty nine of Lots of Pasta. <laughs> Smash that, <laughs> Smash subscribe, that button. subscribe button and fucking jerk yourself off no, and cry yourself that. to sleep. Don't do that. Have a good n- night, everyone. This episode has not been, but should be sponsored by Twenty Three and Me. To get all your catch a serial killer needs, jerk off in go this to cup and send they, they just need spit. That's all. Spend just some spit. They need <laughs> spit, but you're gonna send them cum. Nope. They that, will it'll help. send it to the police. Nah. Nah. They might. No. They. They might. Good night, everyone. <laughs> Get more.